to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. We'll look at verses 9 through 15. So, um, before we read the text, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote good commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, and um, it's where our text falls. Uh, It's a really great little commentary if you pick it up. That's actually a big commentary, sorry. I think it's two volumes in one now in a paperback, but uh, it's it's really great. Anyway, uh, one of the quotes is at the beginning of your bulletin in the uh, section for reflection at the beginning of the service, but um, let me just read a couple things from him. We must pause before we speak in prayer. The great teachers of the spiritual life throughout the centuries, whether Roman Catholic or Protestant, have been agreed about this, that the first step in prayer has always been what they call recollection. There's a sense in which every man, when he begins to pray to God, should put his hand upon his mouth. That's a picture, kind of the reversal of what Job did, right? He... um, uh, he started off by uh, using a lot of words, right? He was praying to God, what's going on here, uh, bringing his complaints, bringing his petitions to God. And at the very end of the book, finally, he realizes, you know, I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth and listen to God, right? So it's that concept there. We should start there. <laughs> we should start with a realization of who God is. And another quote <clears throat> uh, from Lloyd-Jones, the essence of true prayer is found in these two words, our Father. If you can say from your heart, whatever your condition, our Father, in a sense, your prayer is already answered. So this morning we're going to look at um, what it means to have God as our Father in heaven. That's the phrase that we're looking at this morning, the the prologue to the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at how how that shapes our prayer. So uh, let's pray together now and then we'll read the text. Father, we need your help to quiet our souls before your word. Pray that you would send your spirit to renew our minds and to transform our our hearts and to make us more like your son through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So we're going to read... Uh, I don't know if we're going to read that whole thing every week now as we look phrase by phrase at the Lord's Prayer, but I thought we should read it all together at least once. Um, Do you notice anything different? Looking at that version of the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew's Gospel, and then there's, you know, a slightly different version found in Luke's Gospel that we've looked at a few weeks ago, but you notice anything different between the Gospel's account of the Lord's Prayer and the liturgical account? version that we commonly use in public worship that you probably have memorized and used in your own private prayers. Is there any, any big glaring difference? Um, I think 
the most significant difference is that the doxology that closes the liturgical version that we use, um, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, you know, that, that part is, uh, is not found in the Gospels when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. Um, so why do we say it? Right? Why do we say it when we recite the Lord's Prayer? We're trying to pray like Jesus taught us. Why do we say it? Why is it a part of our prayer tradition if he didn't actually explicitly teach it there to his disciples? Um, it is found in some of the ancient uh, manuscripts of Matthew's gospel, tacked on there, but not in actually the most ancient, most reliable, the oldest manuscripts that we have. Uh, an abbreviated form of the doxology in, uh, that's included in the Lord's Prayer uh, is, is found in uh, the early 2nd century Christian writing, the Didache, the, the teaching of the 12 apostles, um, really early Christian document, and it's in there, right, but it's not here. Um, really, anyone who reads the Bible knows that it's a thoroughly biblical concept, right? <laughs> to, to praise God with this doxology is not an unbiblical thing to do. Uh, it, and it really is remarkably similar in language to David's prayer in First Chronicles 29. Let me read uh, just verse 11, he says, Yours, O Lord, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as head above all. So you, you hear it all there, right? It's, it's all in the Bible. But I'd actually argue that the doxology is is closely related to our text this morning, this um this first phrase, it's implicit in, even emanates from the prologue, which is our Father in heaven. Uh, literally, that is our Father who is in the heavens. Um, I think it's worth giving attention to this phrase alone, our Father in heaven, uh, as the prologue to the Lord's Prayer. In fact, we could probably spend several weeks talking about it word by word. Like this sermon could just be on the word our, <laughs> and next week, Father. And then maybe another week on Father. Um, I mean, it, there's a lot in this little phrase. But when Jesus, Jesus teaches us to begin our prayer with those words, our Father in the heavens, he's saying a lot about the way that we're supposed to view prayer, uh, about the way we're supposed to view our relationship to God. Um, and incidentally, he tells us to, to pray to God, right? Um, Thomas Watson says, this teaches us, he's an old Puritan, he's got a book on the Lord's Prayer, that's uh, really good. Um, he says, This teaches us that we must address ourselves in prayer to God alone. There is no such thing in the Lord's Prayer as, O ye saints or angels that are in heaven, hear us. There's absolutely no room in the scriptures for prayer to anyone but God. Um, Jesus tells us to direct our prayers to the Father. It is biblically legitimate to direct our prayers also to Jesus and to the Spirit. I think that's fine, but the focus here is the Father. Uh, our Father in the heavens. This phrase, as you may know, is an incomplete sentence. It is not a petition, right? Um, it's not a petition. It's, it's, uh, we're not asking God to do anything quite yet. It's more of a statement for our reflection. It's like, it's like the doxology at the end, right? The same concepts are bound up there, but it's not merely a statement. It is prayer. It is prayer. Um, we think very easily about prayer in terms of asking for things. Petitions, supplication. Please do this. Please do this. Um, <clears throat> but prayer has to has to begin with a relational connection 
to God, with communion with God. It's, um, it's easy for us to, to immediately start in with things like the, the desperate confession of our sins, trying to deal with the great burden of the guilt of our sins, um, or with cries for help or interceding for loved ones who are in crisis. I mean, those, that's kind of natural for us to just start in with petitions. Um, but Jesus begins, uh, teaches us to begin our prayer by bonding with God as our Father. It's for our reflection. Our Father in the heavens. The first thing to recollect in our prayer is that God is our Father in the heavens. John Stott says, um, the words in the heavens denote not the place of abode so much as the authority and power at his command as the creator and ruler of all things. Thus, Jesus combines fatherly love with heavenly power. So uh, Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Right? When the scriptures set forth God as being in the heavens, he's being portrayed as the ruler over all the universe. It's not that he is somewhere uh, where we can't possibly reach him, right? being in the heavens, because the scriptures teach that he is so great, he's everywhere. We can reach him. Uh, the scriptures actually say that the heaven of heavens do not contain him. So we're not praying to a father who is up there, far away from us, distant. We're praying to our father to whom belong the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's what that means in the heavens. This is the kind of father that we have. He's almighty. He's the Lord of the universe. Now, that is only good news if he's your father, right? Um, I mean, the, the concept of an almighty God ruling over all things from heaven is not very comforting to those who are on his bad side. And that's the boat that we're all in, apart from his grace, apart from the gospel. So this might come as a surprise to you, but Jesus isn't expecting all people everywhere to pray this prayer. He's teaching it to his disciples, to his believers, to his followers. Right? Because you can't truly pray this prayer if you're not a Christian. You can't say that God is your father the way that Jesus means it. Um, Jesus is inviting you to pray this prayer, and we can use this prayer in our evangelism. I think we can tell our friends uh, that, that we're praying this prayer for them, that we're praying that this prayer would become their prayer. But unless you trust Jesus Christ for your reconciliation to God, for the forgiveness of your sins, and for the free gift of his righteousness, then you cannot call on God as your Father. Right? I, I'm not saying... Hey, you're not allowed to pray that way because you can't call on God as your father. You haven't joined the club yet. I'm saying that if you don't have a faith relationship with Jesus, that it's impossible for you to view God as your father in the heavens. Um, let me put it another way. Again, Lloyd-Jones says, um, <clears throat> everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. It is not so difficult to give alms. The natural man, the non-Christian, knows something about that, and you can have a true spirit of philanthropy in people who are not Christians at all. God knows that it is very much easier to preach like this from a pulpit than it is to pray. Prayer is unlike anything else that we do as Christians. Non-Christians can do all the other things that we're supposed to do. 
right? And a lot of times they're even better at it than we are. Right? Plenty of non-Christians are more moral than us. Plenty of non-Christians are more faithful to their spouses than we are. Plenty of non-Christians are more responsible in their businesses, do a better job raising their children. They're more generous than a lot of us Christians. And we Christians can do all of those things without giving a single thought to God. Right? <clears throat> we can live the Christian life just like a non-Christian can live the Christian life. Except when it comes to prayer. Prayer is the most difficult thing in the Christian life because your focus, your attention, is directly on God himself. True prayer cannot be done with a heart that is far from God. Right? We absolutely must turn our souls to God as our Father, which can only be done by faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. If you try to come with any measure of honesty into God's presence, uh, but you're not persuaded of his fatherly love for you, you just won't be able to do it. From a human perspective, maybe the guilt of your sin would be too great to just crush down on you. You won't be able to come freely and openly and honestly into God's presence. Or your connection with him would be utterly distorted by your sinful desires, the, the things that you want that are against his will. The only reason that we can enter into his presence without being destroyed for our sins it's because he loves us. He's had mercy on us. He sent his son to die and forgive all of our sins. He's adopted us as his own sons and daughters. He's welcomed us freely by his grace into his very family. The only way that we can truly and really pray is by approaching God as our Father through faith in Jesus Christ, relying on Jesus as our mediator to give us that father-child relationship. Um, so here's the good news for you. <clears throat> if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that is because God has adopted you. As his son or daughter, you've been adopted by God the Father from eternity past. Right? He chose you. He knew you. Which is to say that he has set his love upon you before the foundation of the world to adopt you through his son, Jesus. At the right time, his son, the son of God, came into the world, Jesus Christ, to take what is ours so that he could give us what is his. He took our sin upon himself. He took it to the cross. He took the wrath of God, the rejection of God that our sins deserve. Out of love, he took it. And out of love, he gave his perfect sonship to us. The son of the great king set his mantle upon our shoulders. The eternal love that the father has had for the son is now showered upon us freely. Everything that the prince of heaven deserves, his full inheritance is shared with us, his younger brothers and sisters, through adoption. The son's inheritance is all things, but I think especially his inheritance is the Father himself, right? It's not that the Father is going to pass on and leave the universe to him. 
right? But that forever into eternity, there will be a perfect, delightful relationship between the Father and the Son. And this is what Jesus calls us into. This is what Jesus gives us. He shares it with us. When you see in the Gospels the relationship that Jesus has with his Father, the long nights in prayer, the full confidence in his Father's approval, haven't you ever wished that you could know God as your Father the way that Jesus knows God as his Father? You can, and you will, if you're in Christ, in the true Son, by faith. Galatians 3, Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, through faith. And Thomas Watson says, By faith we have coalition and union with Christ. Being united to Christ, the natural son, we become adopted sons and daughters. This is pictured for us in our baptism as Christians. When we're baptized into God's family, the family name is put on us. The name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're baptized into his name. Uh, James Torrance, theologian, says, I have been a child of God from all eternity in the heart of the Father. I became a child of God when Christ the Son lived, died, and rose again for me long ago. And I became a child of God when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, sealed in my faith and experience what has been planned from all eternity in the heart of the Father and what was completed once and for all in Jesus Christ. So what he's talking about is what Paul says again in Galatians chapter 4. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Right. So we can pray to God, our Father in the heavens. Because of the work of the Trinity in eternity, in history, and in our hearts to adopt us as God's children. All the benefits of our salvation, all the benefits of our redemption, our adoption, are summed up in that one word in our prayer, Abba. God is our Father. And when you believe that, then you're free from the fear that he might reject you. You're free from the fear that uh, he might be out to punish you. You're free from the very notion that he is even disappointed with you. When your father sees you in Christ, he smiles. He laughs with delight. I think um, a lot of times when we try to think of God as our father, it's difficult for us. We try to muster up how we think it should feel to love him the way that a child loves his or her father. Right? Um, but you need to be persuaded that he loves you the way that a father loves a child. Right? So this book, we've, we're using it in the, the prayer class during Sunday school. It's a book by John Smed called Journey in Prayer. He's got a little story that I wanted to read. <clears throat> he said he had a conversation recently with a friend that... Uh, went this way, Stan and Lori Helm made several trips to Russia 
to adopt a little boy named Nicholas. Each trip they spent time with him but were not allowed to take him home. Each time they left the orphanage, it was heartrending to leave him behind. By the time I met Nicholas, he was a beautiful little boy, full of life with curly auburn hair. Stan told me about his prior condition. The situation in his orphanage was desperate. Nicholas was covered in sores and was in ill health because of unsanitary conditions. He was seldom held. And I said, wow. With you and Lori, Nicholas just won the lottery of adoption. Without a blink, Stan replied, no, John, you're wrong. We are the lucky ones. We won the lottery here. No one in the world could be happier than we are to have Nicholas as our son. His words struck me, made me think about my sonship with God. I asked Stan, I wonder, do you think that God is just as happy to have us as his children? As well as thinking about how great it is for us to be his children, is it possible that God is the one who is thrilled about being our adopting father? It is possible that God is the one who is thrilled about being our adopting father. In fact, it's the gospel truth. Zephaniah three seventeen says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing. It's a picture of a father's love and delight over his children, isn't it? Well, it's easy for us to look around at our lives and think, if my father in the heavens loves me so much, why does this suck? Why is my life so hard? Circumstances in your life may lead you to believe that God is angry. It's not true. It is not true. He is always, only, ever your loving Father. Right? And this is what um, the writer of Hebrews says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. You may have no concept whatsoever of a good earthly father. I was thinking about taking a show of hands. Anybody just have a great dad? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Um, you may have no concept of a good earthly father who clearly cares for you and because of his love disciplined you. You may have no concept of that. Maybe you had no real relationship with your father and he's dead now. Your father in the heavens loves you 
He will never die. He will never leave you or forsake you. You are not an orphan. Maybe your earthly father was abusive and he broke you. Your father in the heavens loves you. He knows your pain. And true healing is found in the shadow of his wings. Maybe your earthly father tried his best, but lost his temper a lot. And his discipline of you seemed too strict and controlling. Your father in the heavens loves you. He wants you to flourish in this world as his child. And his discipline is perfectly timed and measured to make you ready for heaven. Maybe you have no complaints at all about your earthly father. Maybe he's great. But the love and the wealth of relationship that he provides absolutely pales in comparison to the eternal deep communion that we enjoy with God as our father who's in the heavens. He's the fountain of love. With him is true intimacy. He is our portion, our inheritance. We're united to his heir, his son, by faith. And God our Father is the one who holds this family together. He's our Father. Then Psalm 68 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So... Our Father in the heavens has great compassion. He has a heart that melts for those who have no families. And he has big plans for a big family. And he's working in the world to increase it. And you have been drawn into his family as his adopted children. What children with a good father don't long to be like their father? If your father has lavished his love upon you freely, don't you delight to extend that love to other people freely? Don't you want him to adopt more brothers and sisters for you to play with? Don't you want to imitate him in his grace? Aren't you excited about the growth of his kingdom? Aren't you jealous for his glory? Don't you hope that more people would submit to his good will? in their lives. Doesn't helplessness and dependence absolutely characterize your relationship with him as a child is dependent on his or her father? Aren't you desperate to stay close to him, to please him, to be kept from sinning against him? Those are the kind of petitions that we find in the Lord's Prayer. That prayer, our Father in the heavens, is the essence of true Christian prayer. It leads to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it's the essence of the entire Christian life. We can only begin to pray, we can only begin to live as Christians by bonding with God as our Father, which is already accomplished for us in our adoption through the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't work to get that relationship. It is freely given to you as a gift of his grace. You just receive it. So John Calvin says, Let us therefore entertain no doubt that God 
is willing to receive us graciously, that he is ready to listen to our prayers. In a word, that of himself, he is disposed to aid us. The kingdom is his, the power is his, the glory is his, and he is our father who shares everything with his children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice to be your children, that you would so freely set your love upon us is amazing to us, and we rejoice. And we pray that uh, as we go through life, that this, uh, this relationship that we have with you would shape our lives, that this relationship that we have with you as our Father in the heavens would shape our prayers. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.